Welcome to our show, Becoming a Great Physical Therapist. We are your hosts, Ethan Mitchell and Joey Stewart. We are new grad physical therapists serving the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This podcast is made to inspire students, new grads, and seasoned physical therapists to become the greatest version of themselves clinically, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and financially. Let's get into it. Welcome back, everybody, to another beautiful day and another beautiful episode of The Greatest Physical uh, Therapist. And today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Shelby Miller. Shelby, how are you doing today? Good, good. Yeah, it's uh, one day closer to the weekend. So, you know, I never complain about that. How are you guys? We, I'm good. I'm just, you know, living and loving as best I can. (laughs) Um, but yeah, Shelby, thank you so much for being on the show for us today. And um, to kind of kick things off, just tell us a little bit about your background and PT journey. Yeah, for sure. Happy to. Um, so way back, you know, in like eighth grade, I broke my thumb playing softball, ended up at a PT clinic and kind of um, got to um, experience PT for the first time. And really what that meant for me at the time was getting like a thumb splint made by an OT, but I was in a PT clinic. Um, that was kind of my first exposure to the profession, kind of the first time that I kind of realized I could be around people, around sports uh, and get paid for doing it, which was really like a novel concept for me in eighth grade. Um, So in high school, kind of took that more seriously, started like shadowing at some clinics, worked as a tech Uh, in graduate school or in undergrad, excuse me. I studied pre-PT, applied to PT school, probably like five schools, got interviewed at one, got waitlisted at that one, ended up getting in. Um, went through PT school at Hardin-Simmons out in West Texas. It was a really great experience and graduated at the end of 2017. Um, I had just come off of a rotation at Texas Health Sports Medicine with Bobby, who was an amazing CI and um, currently works with uh, TCU Athletics here in Dallas-Fort Worth. And then got hired on as a PT for the Arlington location and have been there ever since. So I've been there for about five years and got hired on as the fourth PT and now we have like nine of us. And so we're just continuing to grow and it's just been a fantastic place to put my feet down and, and really dig a little bit deeper and get mentorship and just enjoy learning. So it's been a fun ride so far. I'm very um, content where I'm at and just excited um, still about what I do as a physical therapist. That's what's up. I bet it's a cool experience too. Like not just kind of going back to like somewhere you had a rotation at, but being able to go and grow with something that's been kind of growing itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's really special. I think when you start working for a place that has vision for what they want to do in the future, and then you actually see that vision come to life a little bit. So it wasn't just like all talk. There was, you know, financial support from the hospital, um, you know, just very like tangible support from like upper management with us wanting to grow. And I mean, just providing the equipment, the research lab, I mean, I'm very pro hospital-based clinics because I think there's a lot of protection financially and the benefits are good and the pay is good um, because there's just more resources. And so I'm a big proponent for people that maybe don't want to open their own practice, but don't really know where to go and work in a a clinic that's not a mill would always shuttle people towards hospital-based options if they're not aware of that already. That's a good perspective. I'd love to tap into that a little bit later if we can. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Happy to explain more, but yeah, that's my bias for sure. Um, what are some things that kind of bring you joy outside of physical therapy? Things that kind of fill your cup back up after a day or week of work? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I think, you know, when I'm not working on the weekends, I would say like my number one favorite thing to do on like a Saturday morning is that I would just have time to like go to the coffee shop, read even just for like 30 minutes, an hour, and then get to go like on a walk outside. We have a nice, uh, well, kind of a nice river. It's the Trinity River. So it's kind of gross if you were to swim in it, but it's nice to walk um, alongside the river. So that's like favorite way to swim a Saturday when I'm in Fort Worth. Um, but outside of that, love um, using my PTO, going on on trips, traveling. I went to a phenomenal trip to Europe with some of my college friends this, this past summer. So that definitely fills my cup, um, keeps me sane. And then outside of that, just... 
um, cuddling my dog and, and watching sports. Um, that's typically what I do when I get home from work is sit on the couch and snuggle him and turn on whatever sporting event is going on. Are you looking forward to the women's world cup? Is that a sport you're into or? So I'll be honest, I am not like a soccer person. It's not cause I'm not into it. I just didn't grow up playing it. So, um, being in a clinic that has so many soccer fans, I'm learning more about the sport. And then obviously I have to uh, not have to, but I'm in a clinic that sees a lot of ACLs. And so I see a lot of soccer athletes. So I've had to learn the sport, but all that to say, yes, I'm looking forward to watching it and, um, yeah, hopefully the girls do great. I'm excited. Heck yeah. I feel like any person who's not a soccer watch, like someone who watches soccer, but like whenever the World Cup comes on, you know, the USA is playing, like lots of people can get involved. So yeah, call me a bandwagon fan. 100% true, but I'm here for it. <laughs> I don't blame you. Right there with you. <laughs> yeah. So Shelby, you have a podcast named Re... Uh, rethinking rehab i may have not said that correctly so is that no, right that's yeah okay. it's just those two words you okay you rethinking rehab, <laughs> which i think is super cool and i've listened to a lot and there's been some very good conversations down there that have brought me down to earth in different ways but i'm curious on some of your thoughts on how has your personal clinical practice evolved since you started as a new grad pt yeah, this was um, the question that I, you know, responded to you on Instagram and it's like, man, I need a lot of more time to like figure this out. So mm-hmm. obviously when you run a podcast called Rethinking Rehab, um, you would think that I would have that answer like off the top of my head of like, oh, I know what I've changed my mind on, um, but I don't. And so this was actually a really good um, mm-hmm. reason for me to like sit down, actually think about it. And, um, you know, I would say a few things. I think this question, maybe the next one will probably hit some of those things, but I would say just like clinically five years in a lot more comfortable with mental HCH rehab. Um, I think coming into the clinic that I was at felt pretty good about like the first six weeks of ACL rehab, you know, just the basic getting the quad back range of motion, EDLs, those kinds of things. And then kind of that next phase where you're really focused on regaining strength. Um, again, had a lot to learn, as it related to like programming and dosage, but I had a, a fairly good handle on it. It was when people started jumping that I was like, Oh, <laughs> I don't know how to progress this. Mm. And Oh, there's like a lot more to this than I had initially realized. Um, and then even moving past that, getting people back to like sprinting and change of direction and then eventually return to sport. There's just so many decisions that I felt like I had to make that I felt ill-equipped to make. And so a big you know, piece of the past five years has just been like diving into more of the strength and conditioning um, literature courses, um, finding mentorship. And so I would say definitely more, um, way more comfortable kind of figuring out, okay, what variables do I have access to as it relates to plyometric progression, regression, sprinting, change of direction, all that good stuff. Um, and eventually compiled a bunch of resources, literature, kind of my own thoughts and um, now I have the the opportunity to present that to our residents um, once a year for their like sports performance lecture. So that's been a great opportunity and something that I'm still learning and getting better at um, as it relates to the actual content that I'm sharing and then how I'm actually sharing that content. And then um, I would say the other thing, and this is probably true of like any PT, right? Is that over the past, you know, three to five years out, you're just learning like how to communicate better um, across disciplines I think my like soft skills, my ability to like connect with people and actually hear them and respond to them appropriately um, has become more refined over the years. Um, I think, you know, we're talking before we hit record that when you start practicing on your own, there's like a lot less pressure because you don't have your CI over your shoulder, you know, essentially just making a judgment on what you're doing and that's stressful for anyone. And then when you get, you know, to be a new grad, you, have new evals that walk through your door. Some are easy. Some feel like a home run. And then there's others that you're like, oh, I don't really know like what to make of this. Um, and I think early on, I put a lot of pressure on myself to like figure it out day one. Mm-hmm. And then I think through, I mean, through just getting mentorship at work, outside of work and talking to people that had been out a little bit longer than I had, just like taking the pressure off of like, if you can't figure out day one, like 
90% of the time they're going to come back for visit two if you do a good job at visit one and like you can follow up with whatever testing you need to do, whatever other questions you need to ask, like stop putting so much pressure on yourself day one. And so I feel like evaluations don't make me as stressed when I like see them on my schedule. And if it's something that kind of is like scary or something I haven't seen even now, um, I think just knowing that I have visit two to figure it out and ultimately that every visit is a reevaluation. Um, and yeah. so those would be like two kind of things. Um, and then I think we'll get into the the next one here in a little bit, but yeah, don't want to spoil it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it seems like you really spent time evolving your strength and conditioning knowledge and how to progress patients onto like the later stages. And just over time, you became a better communicator. And, you know, that's something that we're all striving for and trying to improve on. And so I'm also curious, you know, if you've ever like had strong beliefs that you held on pretty tightly to, maybe it was in PT school, maybe it was early on in your career. And I'm curious if you let go of any of those strong beliefs and like, if you did, like what led to you letting them go? Yeah, this is such a great question. And again, one that, that made me actually stop and think. And now I kind of have an appreciation for when I send you know, questions similar to this to my podcast guests before they come on of like, oh, like this, this requires some like thought beforehand, um, which I think is a, a really cool thing and a good reflection opportunity. So thank you guys um, for thank that. Um, I wouldn't say like necessarily that these things were like strongly held beliefs, but they're just, they've been beliefs that I've kind of swung on the pendulum. Um, I would say in general, I'm able to kind of see all sides to a conflict or to a um, maybe like a theory or a stance. Like that's just something that I've always been very comfortable with is like seeing both sides to the the issue. And so because of that, I think I have a hard time having a strongly held belief that like I have. I think I can be like, well, no, I can see how A can be true and B can be true. And I don't really know like where I stand. But I would say like one thing that comes to mind, you know, coming out of school, obviously like differential diagnosis is like hammered into you pretty hard in school. Um, and being in a clinic when I first started getting out that had, gosh, I mean, we probably say like 50% of our caseload is post-ops. And so you don't really have to exercise that skill, at least initially. Now, as those cases go on and they start to develop pain or other symptoms, you have to exercise that obviously. But for our non-op cases, um, yeah, I think I just started to ask like, to what extent does differential diagnosis matter? Um, I think I, you know, came out in 2018, started to work, and then simultaneously was going through the Level Up Initiative where Mike Amato was my mentor, and I had started a manual-based fellowship um, here in DFW that my mentors had gone through and just was receiving kind of conflicting information uh, as far as, like, diagnosis and how much the specificity of that really matters. So I was really conflicted. <laughs> that was kind of like my first like existential crisis of like, to what extent does this matter? I think I started to see that there's kind of this continuum, right? Of like, you have group A that says like, it it definitely matters. You need to identify the exact tissue that's, that's causing the symptoms. Um, and not just like where the symptoms are, but what's like causing it. You need to find the root cause, right? That's kind of like one camp. And then you have the other camp that... <clears throat> you know, might respond like it doesn't matter really like outside of maybe concern for like a broken bone where they need like imaging or cancer, like those like red flaggy things um, outside of those things. Like it doesn't really matter. Like you're going to figure out their shoulder hurts when they go into flexion. It hurts when they actually rotate. And so those are the things that you're going to work on. It doesn't matter which tissue is, you know, the responsible one. So I started to see those two camps kind of emerge and I was trying to figure out like where, like, where do I fit on that continuum? And I think coming out of school, I kind of started kind of with group A and then over the first year of my practice, um, kind of drifted almost like too far towards B of just like, I don't think this really matters. But then I just felt really lazy as a clinician because I feel like I couldn't answer the question of when it did matter. And I hated that. <laughs> and that was part of why I was interested in fellowship. I ended up quitting that one four months in because I think 
just my philosophy, their philosophy was just so different that, um, I needed to, to kind of look elsewhere. And so, yeah, I think I just, I felt conflicted about how much that matters. And I think something that my mentors, um, at my clinic, um, and even outside of my clinic have done a good job of kind of bringing me back in the middle of this kind of whole argument is might not matter the exact tissue, but you do need to know like the tissue type. And so I think kind of where I land now is at least being able to identify, is this a bone injury? Is this a nerve issue? Is this, you know, muscle tendon, um, joint, et cetera, because to a certain degree, treatment should change based on those tissues. Um, I might not have to nail down the exact tissue structure, but I should at least know the tissue type. And so that's, I think where I've evolved probably the most. Um, and then as far as like what led me to like letting go of like my tight grip on either side, it was just conversations with mentors that challenged me, um, exposure to, you know, research that challenged me, um, yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest one that comes to mind. I would be curious to know what y'all's thoughts are just as like fresh new grads. Yeah. So I've was kind of exposed to a lot of like the nothing matters kind of group a lot, you know, early on. And so my pendulum was swung swung kind of pretty far to that, but as I started getting more into patient care, it's kind of swung back towards the middle. Like, it's like, like you said, like there's those times where it does matter. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there are times where you need to be a good technician and you can't be sloppy with your skills because there are going to be some patients where you just throw any shoulder exercise and they're going to get better. Throw them any general shoulder exercise and they're going to get better. But there are those other patients that may have a specific issue that if you don't find the root cause, you're not giving them the best possible care that you mm-hmm. can. So that's kind of where I stand. So I think he, there's a lot of uh, specificity within the physical therapy field that likely doesn't need to be so specific, Yep. Um, but it is helpful with some patients. So that's kind of where I stand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> kind of like Ethan said, I was definitely kind of exposed to like the does it really matter camp a lot. And um, of course, like those, there are times where like, yeah, we do need to be a little more uh, sharper and honed in with our approach. And um, a classic example of that, that I've kind of gotten to experience firsthand is um, I remember going through like our ortho curriculum. We talked about SI joint. And I remember hearing specifically in class, like very rarely ever is it the SI joint itself. And then I just kind of thought back to times when I was like a tech and working with folks or like, even now, like just a PT that's kind of mentoring me right now, I've seen a lot more like rationale around the SIJ than I ever have. And I was like, and that just threw me for a loop, you know, but like the thing is like people are getting better and then I have to sit there and ask myself, okay, well, I kind of go back to those two camps. Like how much of it is like really technically SIJ, like no 1000% it is, or how much of it is, is it kind of like that? I mean, it's in the general area. You get that general like relief. It helps. They're still getting better. Like, is it really, does it really matter? And like, I kind of just have to sit there and take the results, what they are for face value. Cause um, to kind of go back on something we, you were talking about earlier, you know, like you may not figure it out, visit one, but you will down the road. So I think that's where marrying those two approaches comes in handy. Cause like, let's say you do take the more like gen- general approach, I'm gonna call it um, day one. And let's say it works. Well, great. We can keep rolling with that. But if it doesn't, that's when I think it's better to like put our thinking cap on and really like dig deeper. Exactly. Yeah. I think, you know, the idea of you can be a generalist and if that's, I don't want to say if that's all you are, but if that's the only approach that you have and it's not working, then like you have to know how to pivot. And like, if you don't appreciate any specificity, I feel like you're going to miss some like opportunities for change with, you know, a certain subset of people. I think for 
man, like 80% of just like your normal everyday person, you can throw at them just a general program and they probably will get better with time. Um, I think it does get a little bit more specific when you get into working with like athletes and um, specific sports and positions. And I think specificity does matter a little bit more. Um, but I, yeah, I just, I felt like if I took that real generalist approach and that's probably where like where I was at, like in 20, I don't know, 18, 19, just trying to figure that out. It just felt like I, like I was stuck. Like I didn't know where to go when like general things weren't helping. And I also didn't feel like I had a great rationale. I would just always imagine like if I had a student here, could I like explain like why I'm being general and when I would know when not to be general or when I would know how to like dig a little bit deeper. And I couldn't answer that. And I didn't like that. (laughs) And so even though that's kind of where I landed now, like in general, in general, I'm pretty general. Most of the time I try to keep things general, but I I feel like I have a better skill set to fall back on when that's not working to dive a little bit deeper and be a little bit more specific, which um, I think is helpful. Absolutely. And I think another thing that is underappreciated within the physical therapy field is just the contextual factors of a patient coming to the clinic and doing something for themselves to get better and interacting with the clinician and the therapeutic alliance and those other contextual factors that that play a big role. And yeah, so that's like one of the reasons why I don't think it always has to be super specific, but yeah, but you covered that really well. And this topic actually is a good segue into my next question because there's just a lot of muddiness many times with patient problems and pain. So I'm curious, how do you navigate uncertainty while maintaining patients' trust in you? Yeah, this is huge. I mean, I have a basketball player right now that I'm working with who has some discomfort and, you know, trying to manage like some of the uncertainty. I think for anyone that has like pain for a while and then has a surgery and the pain is still there, that is a circumstance of uncertainty. Uh, I think as a rehab provider, um, trying to reassure people when they experience things like that, that, Hey, like when you're experiencing, you know, these symptoms or this kind of pain, like that's not concerning to me for X, Y, and Z reason, but always following that up with like, if you have, right. If you have, we see like 60% of our clinic is at knees. So I say this, I feel like fairly often, if you have like clicking in your knee that involves you not being able to straighten or bend your leg, that would be concerning for me. If you have swelling, that's like not going away. That would be concerning for me. Right. If it's just always there and we're not making any progress. Um, if you have regression and like your ability to put weight on your leg, like that is concerning. So just following up some of the uncertainty of like, Hey, it's okay that you have pain. That's kind of what we expect. You know, you just had surgery or just, you're coming off of an injury or whatever. Um, and having to like communicate that in a way that demonstrates your competency and your expertise, but also, you know, validating the fact that for that person, like they don't have that knowledge. And so for someone that play sports and they're still having pain, like that's, that's concerning and that presents itself as as some uncertainty. And so having to come alongside and reassure them that, yes, this is kind of where we are. um, But here's the things that I would be concerned about. So right now I'm really not. Um, And so I think just following up certainty and things that I would be concerned about whenever I do bring up, Mm. you know, Hey, yeah, this is a little bit weird. I don't know exactly 100% what's going on, but here's what I do know. And that would be that, these four or five things would, would be what would catch my attention and just seeing how they respond to that. Some people are like, Oh, okay, cool. Some people are, that's going to be like a really big relief um, for them. For some people they're going to like, that's not going to be enough. Like they're just going to want to know, you know, there's just people that are like, but why am I still in pain? Like I just, Mm -hmm. my shoulder's been hurting and I had surgery and like the pain is still there. It's the same pain, you know? And as a clinician, like you hate that, right? You're like, I want you to to feel better, (laughs) Um, but that is the reality of of having surgery and doing rehab is that sometimes things stick around, linger around longer than we expect. Ultimately, we hope that people can kind of get past those things. And I think that's where um, your ability to communicate um, clearly, honestly, um, and in a way that that still instills like hope and um, 
being able to point out progress to people is super huge. Yeah. And I like how in a way, even when there is uncertainty, you do provide certainty in different areas, like saying like, Hey, like I would be concerned about this, this, and this, and you're not dealing with these things that I'm mainly concerned about. And so, yeah, that could be a little bit comforting to a patient. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And regarding, so like tissue, like lots of times patients want to know the exact tissue, like what exactly is wrong with me? And as a new grad PT, and I'm sure PTs even later on, like lots of times I don't know exactly what tissue is really irritated and, you know, they kind of want a diagnosis. Yeah. I'm curious how you navigate that area. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I've done a few different things. I think there's certain instances where pain presents in a way that really does not make sense. And I just am honest and I'm like, I, I don't know, like I'm puzzled, but I'm going to go call some mentors of mine and figure it out. I had a girl that was, um, she was a college softball player and had some interesting like TOS symptoms that I couldn't figure out. And so again, like called some mentors and was like, I'm going to help you figure this out. Like, I'm not going to leave you. Uh, I just, I, I don't have a good answer for you right now. Um, and then I think there's other times where you like have someone that has pain and you're like, ah, eh, like it could be one of these three things, you know, here's X, Y, or Z. Here's how it doesn't really change our treatment plan. So for me, it doesn't really matter if I identify, you know, which one it is. And then I think there's other times where it's uh, really obvious which tissue is causing pain, right? If you think of like a very classic, like patellar tendinopathy. And so just keeping it really straight with them of like, hey, it's your tendon. Here's what we're going to do about it. Um, here's why it's good to to load that tendon even into pain. Um, so I think it depends on the the patient presentation and kind of their personality and how much information they're wanting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a, a new grad and, you know, even like early career professionals, just like tempting to want to like over communicate and sure. something that I actually shared today, my, my friend, Jenny, who's a, uh, she's a strength coach and runs a communication business called fit to speak. But something that she said that has just like lived in my head is just like, the more that you say, the more that you have to explain. And I think about that with patient care all the time of, man, the more that I say to a patient, the more that I'm going to have to explain what I'm saying. And so I need to probably say less than what I think is necessary. Yeah. That is exactly something our professors have said before. Really? <laughs> that, yeah. It would, during our like practical to skills checkoffs, like, and they advised us on this many a time, like they said, the less you say, the less, like the less you have to explain basically. Like the more you say though, like we're going to try and ask questions. If you can't answer that, like that's going to come back on you. So that's been like something that I probably need to keep more in mind as I go through like my days of practicing. Cause I do find myself trying to like explain things or over explain things. And I catch myself like either stumbling over my word or starting to like almost contradict myself. And yep. I've come to realize too, like if they, if they do want more information, like they're going to ask, you know, Exactly. And of course, at that point, you got to be ready. Like I got someone right now who like asked me like straight up, like, what do you think is causing my neck pain after evaluating them? Like, I mean, I kind of had to take the approach you did. I said, it could be this, it could be that either way. Our approach isn't really going to change. Like, yeah. Just going with that. But um, yeah, like I think the whole acronym of keep it simple, silly works perfectly in these cases. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So I'm curious, Shelby, what are some of the biggest clinical challenges you continue to face even today, five years out? Yeah, this is, this is the easy one, right? I feel like we're always acutely aware of of what we're not good at. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I would say just in the clinic that I'm in, um, I, we don't see as much spine as I would if I was in like a, you know, private orthopedic clinic, um, which I'm grateful for because it's not something that I get excited about necessarily, but it is very important, especially with extremity stuff. We do always have to to clear the spine and, and make sure that there's nothing there. Same thing with concussion. And so I would just say, and this has been true for the past five years, is that I want to get better at spine um, related pathology, pain, treatment, assessment, all that good stuff. Um, 
So that would be like a big reason for me that I'm still like interested in some kind of fellowship or just extra mentorship um, in that realm. And then also like nerve stuff, like neurodynamics is so complicated. And so I took Michael Shacklock's course in January and it was a lot. I think I ended up with like 82 pages of notes, which did include like pictures from like the online content. So it's not all words, but um, I just say all that to say it's, it's just more dense than I realized. And I realized that I was sloppy in my application of neurodynamic testing. I didn't know how to treat it. Didn't know how to progress it, regress it. Um, I feel like I'm in a place now where like, I know in my head how to do it, but applying it is still getting worked out because it's only been a few months. And um, honestly, the amount of, of nerve related um, pain or neurodynamic problems that I see in clinic is relatively low. So just my, my reps are low there. Um, and I would say one way that I'm addressing kind of that weakness is going through a mentorship with Sean Harris, who's a PT down in Houston, who got his PhD in back pain, enjoys spine and nerve related stuff. Um, and he's gone through fellowship. So he's just uh, kind of been a, an online mentor um, of mine. And so going through his mentorship, it's like 30 bucks a month for anyone who's interested. He just started it. Um, so shameless plug to him and what he's doing. I think it's helpful and um, yeah it's still open. So it's not like a close thing by any means. And then differential diagnosis would just be like piggy, piggyback, piggybacking off of those things. So, you know, I think something with nerves for me that still gets tricky is like trying to tease out, is this like a peripheral nerve thing or more like central? So central just for me, meaning like spine um, in origin. Mm. That still is like really confusing for me. And, you know, that's, it goes back into the same conversation of how much does it matter. Um, and the fact that it's still pretty muddy to me means for me that that should still matter so that I know how to tease it out. And then I can decide when, when it doesn't matter, but I can't decide that it doesn't matter without understanding that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so that's just kind of where I'm at with that. Um, and then I would say the other thing would just be communicating um, across disciplines. I think, you know, where I work, we have access uh, to doctors in the clinic, and then we work with so many high school kids. So we talk to a lot of athletic trainers. Um, and then we have, you know, a handful of of college and pro um, athletes that we've worked with. And so as a clinic learning just how to best um, support, communicate, come alongside um, all of those groups and communicate in a way that is clear and concise um, helpful, open to feedback. Um, I think that just takes a skill and I've definitely like messed up communicating with, with patients and with doctors and, um, still learning. So definitely not, not perfect at it, but it's, it's fun to keep exercising that muscle for sure. The communication piece is definitely like one, I think that's always going to be tough just because a, you have to communicate differently with different types of people. Like, whether it be a patient, family, doctor, other professional. And even from there, like you have to communicate differently with those subtypes, you know, exactly. Uh, kind of like we said earlier, like some people may want more explanation. Some people may want less. Some doctors may want to know like every nitty gritty detail. And some may just be like, I trust you go for it. You know, yeah. or just some people just may have so many questions that it's tough for you to answer, but you kind of still feel obligated to answer. So. Right. That's always and I'll the- say that's, that's like something that Chris Johnson really challenged me with. Uh, not like necessarily like personally, but just through a lecture that he gave through level up initiative. Um, like back in 2018, when I did that is he was talking about how he'll just take like clients out for like a coffee because it's Chris Johnson. And I guess when you're in your practice, you can run it like that, which is really cool. I don't have the the privilege of, of getting to grab coffee with my clients day one, but still apply this in practice. And um, something that he mentioned is that he just like asked them like, what, like, what do you want to get out of like your eval? Like what, what do you want to do? Or, like what questions do you have? And then that guides the whole process. And I think from an education and a communication standpoint, um, that can help give you some idea of what that patient or athlete needs. And so some people come in and they're like, man, I just got this MRI report and like, I don't really understand it. Like, I really am just kind of curious what these things mean. And maybe it's just education. That's like all they want um, for others. Right. That's like, Shelby, what can I do in the gym? You know, and you just have to go through that. Um, 
I think sometimes we presume what people need or people want to be educated on and it's not always true. And so I think just asking them what, what they're concerned about can be a helpful starting place. If you're one to over communicate or just get in situations where you're like, okay, now I've just been like rambling for like 10 minutes and I don't actually know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Sometimes just asking them what they need can help guide that for you. For sure. And, um, like, and I've kind of, I've started to kind of realize this as I'm like, just in my past first month of working is like people are a little, a lot of people are more in tune with their bodies than they, than they realize. Mm-hmm. So I think asking that question, like, what is it you think you need? Or like, what do you think is wrong with you? That's something my, uh, ortho CI used to ask. Like, I think that can open up a lot more opportunity or, be like a can be just a big help in general even yeah yeah um, totally kind of shifting gears a little bit um just talking about mentorship here who is your most impactful mentor within pt and uh what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from them mm. yeah man I would say I kind of broke this into like two different groups of people so there's definitely the people that have mentored me like in clinic I think there's just a different like mentor experience when people are like watching how you treat, what you say, your body language. Um, Like there's no hiding, right? It's almost like when you're married to someone, I'm not married, but I would just imagine (laughs) you can't like escape them. Like they know the good, the bad, the ugly. Right. Um, And then like virtual mentorship is kind of like you're dating them. Like you can, you know, put forward your best self and, and hide the either hide the details that you don't want to share or you're not even aware of, of those things. And so you don't bring them up virtually with people because they can't see you. They can't you know ask about it. And so I would say like in person, um, just to keep it really short and sweet. I mean, Bobby, she was my CI um, and is still a mentor of mine. I, I think, I think one of the biggest things that I learned from her is she has truly like carved out a path for herself. Um, she, is just a go-getter and has, you know, made her own courses and, you know, worked to, to work in D1. And that is so much of that is just because she has, you know, put her head down and demonstrated her value, I think to other people. And I think that's a huge, a huge thing that I, I want to get better at. Um, and then Jenny and Caitlin are both uh, people that I've worked with. Um, Jenny has left the clinic and is in Iowa now, but her and Caitlin and I worked together for, three, four years. Um, and they have both just been really good mentors over the past few years for me. Um, they're, I don't know, a year or two out further than I am, um, went through two different residencies. And so they just have some perspectives that, that I appreciate. Um, they've just been a good resource. They're the people in clinic that I would go to of like, Hey, I had this eval that I'm kind of confused about or, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this with someone like what, like, what are your thoughts? Like, give me some like pushback here. So they've just been like safe people for me to um, to ask questions, to like be seen by in clinic. I just think there's a lot of safety in knowing that like 40 hours a week um, that there's someone that you have a good relationship that's like watching how you interact with people and watching how you treat um, and can speak into that um, in a way that's kind and helpful and constructive. And so um, those three have definitely done that for me um, in person. And then virtually, um, I would say... Um, I already mentioned Chris Johnson. I think the lecture he did with, with level up just, it completely changed how I do my subjective. And so he really just challenged me of like, yes, the objective stuff matters. I don't want to take away from that, but subjectively, like you, your job is to befriend the patient in front of you. That that's like thing. Number one, just become their friend. Thing number two is like, figure out what they're here for and like do those things. And then, uh, Scott Morrison, has just been like a huge help. He is like the guy that I will go to when I'm confused about physics. Like I was just trying to understand like basic biomechanics, um, probably, I don't know, a year or two into practice. Um, and he was just so kind. He was always just willing to literally like FaceTime me and like draw out like stick figures and explain to me, you know, moment arms and, um, just like the bare bones. And so he's just always been super helpful in that regard. Went to his course, um, called Sloptimal Loading, very practical course, especially if you want to get better at strength and conditioning principles um, in rehab and get better at decision-making. I think Scott's course um, 
just does a great job of doing that. And then uh, definitely want to give a plug for for Zach and Steph through the Level, Level Up Initiative, Quinn with Clinical Athlete. I think uh, just their mentorship literally since I got out has just been very formative to how I interact with people, how I communicate, how I try to approach work with um, a mindset of of growth and, and wanting to get better and, and being open to to being wrong. Um, so yeah, definitely that covers, I think the main people that come to mind, but y'all know how it is. There's the world's like so small. And so, I mean, I could sit here and list 20, 30 people that have positively impacted me, um, as a PT, but those are definitely a few that come to mind. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not kidding about that. I mean, I feel like you always end up taking a little bit of something from everybody, you know, whether it be like something you would do, something you wouldn't do. So uh, that's definitely cool. And I've, I've noticed the thing with the level up family, <laughs> family. I feel like those roots run deep. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been fun. I mean, they've, they've only been around for five years, but they are doing something that's, that's special. And um, I just think, Anytime you can have that big of a group that's like so diverse, like there's people in every parts of the PT world, every kinds of setting and practice and level of profession um, that don't agree on everything, right? Like it's very diverse in that sense. Um, but because they lead from a place of humility and respect, we can have those conversations in a way that's productive. And I just think that's hugely refreshing and needed. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Also really like how you mentioned, like you had your kind of in-person mentors and like, you know, kind of like the digital mentors, because, you know, I had my CIs and other PTs, like I'd meet in person and it's like, you know, they're not connected with social media and things like that. And so like, you know, they're outside of like kind of the echo chamber that, you know, I'm used to with some of the some of the social media stuff and clinical athlete, sure. most of the clinical athlete, you know, it's not about living in your echo chamber, but mm-hmm. um, it's really been amazing to have like mentors that have a different perspective and like learn yeah. a lot from their perspective that maybe is informed in a different way than what I'm used to seeing from like my digital mm-hmm. or online people I know that are, have been mentors. So there's so much to learn. Like there's like really great PTs out there that like, you know, you would have never even known about and they have yeah. great knowledge to share. So yeah, I just like how you mentioned you had different mentors. Yeah. I mean, there's like so many really great PTs that like aren't on social media because they're busy actually doing really cool things <laughs> in real life. And so, yeah. yeah, like don't miss those like gems of people like in your clinic or in your community. Like there's so, there's just so many. Yeah. Um, so kind of on the note of, um, resources that have helped you basically, um, what continuing ed courses or webinars, podcasts, et cetera, or books do you recommend for new grad PTs? to dive into so that they can start themselves rethinking rehab and how they practice. Mm. I love resources. First of all, I just think they're great. Um, I think when I think of courses, um, I already mentioned Scott's is called Sloptimal Loading. Um, definitely changed my practice in a, in a good way. Um, I went through Exos's certified performance specialist. I think that's what it's called. The XPS um, early on because I just needed a framework for like plyometrics and sprinting and change of direction. And that gave me that. Um, so that's not to say that the exos way is the end all be all, but it just gave me a framework to build off of, um, cause I didn't have one. And so if you're a newer grad and you're just trying to like get your footing, I think that's a great option. Don't pay full price. They always run a sale. Um, like I think I got it for like 40% off on like labor day or St. Patrick's day. So, um, and then other than one, Wanted to share this one. This is a course actually that Bobby runs. So am biased. I have taken it. It's really, really good. It's called Clinic to Field. Um, it's all about concussion treatment and assessment from you know day one and then back 
you know, return to sport. And so her and Chelsea Ortega do a great job with that course. It's very, very, very thorough. Um, if you want to get into treating concussions, it's a great resource. Definitely not the only one, but it's the one that I know of. Um, and then books wise, I think a few that come to mind is, you know, being wrong. If you're in the level up community, this is one that that's floated around quite a bit. And that's kind of how I heard about it, but it's just a really, really, really good read. And I think it's just a good mindset to go into. I'm, I can be wrong here. Um, I think that's a really healthy way to approach um, work and conversations um, about life. Thank you again, but Adam Grant is again, a, a baller book. It's phenomenal. Love Adam. Um, and then there's another book called Calling Bullshit, which is exactly what it sounds like. I think if you are one that's trying to, yeah, Ethan, I see you flash that. Um, <laughs> if you get lost in the sauce with like, you know, just what do I believe on the internet? Really in any regards, it's a great resource of, you know, trying to tease out um, good data from bad data. And then the last one is a book called Dreams, Dream Teams. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, I did a book club with Zach Steph um, and a few other people. But it's just, if you work in a, a team-based setting, um, not like a sport team, but in a rehab facility that involves like a doctor and athletic trainer and PAs and just working with multiple people, which most people do. Uh, just a really good book with some thoughts around what makes a good team. Uh, really easy read. And then podcast-wise, I think PTN Quest is definitely a good one. Um, if you're looking to just get some like audio, audio, audio-based uh, research um, in your brain, you can do that. But there's like so many good podcasts. I mean, E3 Rehab is very practical. The Physio Network um, one, I don't remember what it's called. And then the JOSPT sports or insights or whatever it's called. I think those would be like top three clinical application ones. Heck yeah. Threw some familiar names out there. And I think we covered all our bases with that one. Also, have you just like inside my brain? Because I swear I was like sitting here thinking like, I need to like find like a good like concussion rehab like source. And you just... Put it right there for me. So thank you. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, they, they're doing some some really cool things. They've done like courses, you know, just on their own. And I think they're trying to get into the college setting. So they just did one in Oklahoma State um, probably like two weeks ago. And they just bring both a lot of great experience. Um, Bobby, like I said, is in D1 athletics. Chelsea works out of um, evolution in California, but has covered U.S. women's soccer, PGA. I mean, a lot of like pro sports. And so they just bring a great a mix of experience, I think, to to the course. And what was uh, the? I think you recommended a, a nerve nerve assessment course earlier. Yeah, I took called? one. Yeah, so Michael Shacklock, he's like Shacklock. the neurodynamics guy. So mm-hmm. Neurodynamic Solutions is his website. It's also his course. Um, so yeah, I took the upper and lower extremity um, course, and I kind of it was funny. I went into it thinking like, this is going to help me understand where the nerve problem is. And like one of the first things he talks about is like neurodynamics don't tell you where the problem is. It just tells you that there is a problem. <laughs> so it's like, well, dang. <laughs> so uh, just know that going in, that's just part of how neurodynamics works is it's, uh, you know, a test of identifying that something is wrong, not identifying where it's wrong. So it's a, a piece to a bigger puzzle for sure. Hmm. Okay. All right. Shelby. Let's wrap this up with our uh, famous question. Oh. Is your de- what, is, what is your definition of a great physical therapist? Man, I could say a lot here, but I think, you know, simply I think one that's, that's open to learning, um, especially from others, from patients, from colleagues, from people younger than them, from students. Um, one that has just an intrinsic motivation to get better. I don't think you can make people want to get better. Um, that's something that has to come from within. Um, and then someone that just treats their their patients and colleagues and really the people that they're surrounded by, um, I think with kindness and respect is huge. I think we live in a world that um, it's really easy to to not do that. And so I think that goes a long way. Um, and you won't change anyone's mind by being rude, in my opinion. And so I just would encourage people to, to stay kind and give people the benefit of the doubt. Hmm. See, the main thing or one of the big things that stuck out with that for me is 
being open to learning from students and patients yeah. because I feel like lots of times it's easy to think that you know more than a student or a patient, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's so much you can learn from people of all walks of life, like no matter who it is. So I like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think if you like approach students and I'm biased, I'm the like student coordinator at my clinic. So I just have a heart for like students having a good experience on their clinicals. I hate when I hear, you know, horror stories of students being talked down to, berated, not taken care of, et cetera. Um, I think if you approach students with just like a curiosity that like maybe they know something that you don't or maybe they've experienced something that, you know, might help your practice. Um, I think it just goes a long way when it comes to you giving like constructive feedback and you may be having harder conversations with that student later on about, you know, whatever. Um, It just almost kind of earns the right for you to be heard. I think later on when you approach from like day one um, with an attitude of what can you teach me too? Yeah. I mean, there's something to be learned from anyone and everyone. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, remember just thinking back to like professors, CIs and the like, like the one thing they all consistently said was, well, how do you get better? Well, you just treat more, you know, you work with more cases, you work with more diagnoses, you work with just so many different people. And I mean, you really can take something from each and every one of them, even if it's like, dang near identical you know (laughs) yeah and maybe it's learning what you don't want to do right like that's also like helpful for you oh yeah one thousand percent shelby thank you so 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 much for being on we definitely had a blast getting to chat with you and getting all the knowledge bombs dropped on us um what's a good way for people to follow your content or reach out to you if they have any questions or want some knowledge bombs dropped on them as well (laughs) Um, yeah, I think easiest way is Instagram, um, rethinking rehab. You can shoot me a DM there if you want to chat. Um, yeah, it's probably the easiest way. All right. Awesome. And make sure to go listen to Shelby's awesome podcast and Thank you. yeah, of course. And all those great resources will also be in the show notes. So thanks a ton for coming on Shelby. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you all so much for giving today's show a listen. If you found value in this, please leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. It really just helps the show get out to more people and create more impact. It would also mean a lot to us if you could share this episode or another episode you liked with a friend. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one. Bye-bye.